Welcome to the Hope Sports Podcast, where we believe the best way for you to unlock your full potential is by living into your purpose. We believe discovering your purpose is the only way for you to live a meaningful life. I'm your host, Olympic gold medalist, Laura Wilkinson. Each week, I have the privilege of connecting with a different elite athlete to discuss how they win big in and out of their sport. We want you to compete better and live into your purpose, so stick around to hear about an amazing opportunity that we have for you. But first, let's dig into today's episode. This week, we have NASCAR driver Michael McDowell with us. He shares about a terrifying crash that made him a household name, how he takes his career just one year at a time, and when he was challenged about who he was actually building a brand for. I had a great time chatting with Michael, and I know you're going to enjoy it too. So let's dive on in. Michael McDowell, thank you so much for joining us on the Hope Sports Podcast. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. (laughs) Now, for those that may not know your background, can you kind of take us through how you got into sports in the first place? Well, it's, uh, I've been racing my entire life, so there's not really one point where I can tell you this is when it started because I've been racing since I could run or get on a bike or do whatever. And so, um, you know, I started racing BMX bikes at the age of three at and three? Then I raced dirt bikes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we had a, we had a bike track right pretty close to our house. And, um, uh, so I've always raced something, but it became very real when I was about eight years old and started racing go-karts. Oh, that's cool. And you had quite a, a go-kart career too, didn't you? You won like world titles and everything. Yeah. So, you know, growing up, that's all I did was race and, uh, race go-karts every single weekend from, you know, the time I can remember and traveled all over the country and all over the world. And, uh, was really, you know, fortunate to see a lot of cool places and, and win races and championships. And, um, yeah, it was a, a really cool childhood. Well, so how did kart racing move into Formula One racing? Well, it was kind of um, a, a normal transition coming from karts into Formula cars. Um, that's kind of the next step um, in motorsports. And um, so I was just fortunate to meet some really great people that wanted to see my career move along. And, um, you know, racing is very different than stick and ball sports because uh, it costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, in baseball, if you can throw a hundred mile an hour fastball in high school, you're probably going to get a, you know, a college scholarship or you're going to get seen by a scout, but in racing, it takes money. So you have to have sponsors and you have to have people that are uh, willing to take a chance and and spend some money to get you to the next level. Well, that sounds stressful on a whole different (laughs) level. (laughs) It is. Well, was the dream always to get to NASCAR, like from when you were little, since you were such a racer, was that always a dream or did that kind of just happen along the way? No, the dream wasn't really NASCAR. It was more IndyCar and open wheel Formula One. And um, it's just kind of how my path ended up going. Just, um, you know, in racing, um, you just never know what seats are going to be available, what opportunities are going to be available. And um, for me at the time, uh, when I was, you know, 19, 20 years old, there wasn't a lot of opportunities in open wheel racing. Um, but there was a lot of opportunities in NASCAR and stock cars. And so I made the transition and uh, really thankful that I did. That's so cool. And you had a pretty amazing rookie year in NASCAR, didn't you? You know, it's it's funny when you go back at the time, I, I didn't feel like I did. But, you know, now 10 years later, I, I go back and I go, hey, that wasn't too bad for my first year. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's just because you're young and, and you you don't realize how difficult it is. And I'd always won races and, and always won championships and sort of always been at the top of um, you know, the classes that I've been in. 
And then when you get to NASCAR, it's very humbling. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I didn't have the success that I hoped that I would have. But, um, you know, now, you know, 12 years later, it uh, changes your perspective. Oh, yes, for sure. Well, you were just barely on the scene in 2008 and you had a pretty awful crash. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, so in 2008 at Texas Motor Speedway, um, I was qualifying in the Aaron's Dream Machine Double Zero car and I hit a little oil and got loose and overcorrected and hit the wall. And I hit the wall around 190 miles an hour head on and uh, barrel rolled from there. And um, it's definitely one of those crashes that uh, when you watch, you, you cringe. Um, and I was able to, to get out and race the next day. And um, it's still something that people talk about all, often. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just another part of my story. And, uh, you know, but nothing short of miraculous to, to walk away from an accident like that. And um, it really gave me a platform to share my faith and, uh, and make it about God and not about me. And, Um, you know, so it was a very interesting time in my career and in my life and in my walk. So how did it kind of, I guess, changing that? I know it gave you a platform you said to to speak on, but like, did it change you in other ways? Did it affect you in other ways? You know, it didn't affect me from a competition standpoint. Like I never was afraid to get back in the car. I wasn't, you know, scared of crashing again, none of those things. But what did happen was I was a rookie. Nobody knew who I was. Um, you know, I was kind of this new guy. And, and then all of a sudden I had this really big crash and I'm on you know, all the different networks and TV shows and I was on the Today Show and Ellen and all these different shows. And so I became famous for all the wrong reasons. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. And so for me, what, what was a changing point is you know, I wasn't new in my faith um, at the time. I had been a Christian for four years at that point. Um, but I wasn't fully surrendered in every area of my life. And in racing, I, I felt like that was probably the one area where I haven't just fully surrendered. And I had this crossroads just right after that accident. Of, of Was I going to use this platform to help build my brand and and build fans and followers and and try to maximize my opportunity of having this stage or was I going to make him known? And so it was a a turning point in my walk of just surrendering, you know, the, the spotlight and to, to, you know, just kind of refocus on, um, you know, what did I want to represent and who was I trying to build a brand for? Mm, That's huge. Oh, I love it. Well, shortly after signing, I know I heard you talking about this on another podcast. You signed a multi-year, multi-million dollar deal and just six months into it, you were jobless and your wife was pregnant with your first child. I'm I'm guessing that wasn't part of your dream plan, (laughs) you know, to race professionally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of a crazy just crazy events. Um, I did, I signed a multi-year deal and, um, felt like there was security in that. And, uh, and, you know, I felt like I was going to have a long future. And then shortly after that, um, lost sponsorships and teams made cuts in different directions. And I was kind of the odd man out and my wife was pregnant with our first child. Um, and so just the timing of it was, you know, a bit crazy and chaotic and, uh, but it was a, a great season of life for my wife and I too. Is just 
you know, we talked about the beginning of the year with that big crash and just fully surrendering and then being at a point where you don't really have any security to lean on from a worldly standpoint, from a job and finances and all these things. And it was just another point of, of surrender of, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And um, you're going to have to provide the opportunity and, and what do you want us to, to do? And, and we weren't real fearful in that time. Um, we knew that God would provide, um, but we didn't know if it was going to be in racing. We didn't know if it was going to be, you know, a different direction and in real life and a real job and kind of start over or, um, or what would be next. Mm, yeah, I know my husband and I have been through some situations very similar to that, obviously not with race cars, but um, I, those times are, they're sometimes scary. They're sometimes hard, but I, I think that's such a beautiful time when you have to be dependent on God and he really grows you in those times, right? They're not necessarily comfortable, but you can look back and see how much he developed you in that time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think short term, nobody wants trials. I mean, <laughs> you know, when we look at it short term, it'd, it'd be nice to duck and avoid them. Um, but when you look back five or 10 years and you look at, you know, what happened in that season and, and just God's faithfulness through the process of uh, months and years and, and opportunities you wouldn't have had and things you would have missed. And, um, you know, it's just a reminder that God is working all things to good, uh, you know, mm-hmm. for those that love him and call on his name and, it doesn't always feel that way in the moment, um, but we can trust that, you know, he's faithful and he's good. Yeah. Oh, love that. Now, you've also talked about how it's it's very challenging in your sport to have real relationships because everyone kind of maybe feels like you're out to get their job or their sponsorship because it's it's not a team sport. When you advance and move up, you're you're essentially taking someone else's job. So is that pretty isolating? Like, how do you kind of, I guess, deal with that on a daily basis? Because you're, you're racing like every single weekend, aren't you? Yeah, it's a very interesting community and, and really it's changed over the, you know, the 10 plus years that I've been in there. And um, in the beginning, I just remember it being very uh, strange. You had all these people that, you know, say 1,500, 2,000 people that travel with each other every weekend, same faces, same families, same people. Um, but there wasn't really much community and there wasn't, you know, you weren't going to dinner with anybody. You weren't hanging out with anybody. You weren't having community. Um, and it was because those walls, those barriers were up of, you know, it's a competitive environment, obviously you're competing against each other. Um, but at the same time, people just didn't want to be vulnerable and didn't want to put their guards down. And it was like that for several years and it was hard to find, um, community, but, um, the group of guys, um, and I, we started the Bible study and that really helped create that community for us. Um, but then too, everybody started having kids and, um, that was, <laughs> that changes things. <laughs> that was a big game changer for sure is, um, now people had kids and you didn't want to be cooped up in the motor home. And so now people are outside and kids are running around. And, um, so that was definitely a, a big shift, uh, is when everybody started having babies, there started to be a whole lot more community. And, uh, now there's, you know, there's a, a greater sense of community, but there's still those barriers and those walls up. Well, so tell me about that Bible study, because it was just like you and two other guys that started it, right? Like what, yeah, how did you, what, I guess, why did you guys end up starting it and what did it turn into? Yeah, so um, in 2009, uh, MRO, Motor Racing Outreach, is a ministry that travels with NASCAR and they provide chaplaincies uh, for drivers and crew and and just, they're there, they're the the church on wheels and um, and Lonnie Klaus, one of the pastors there, he um 
he was just investing in, in myself and a couple other guys. And, and so we started the Bible study and there's just, I think the first week and there's just three of us and, you know, that just grew over time. And, um, yeah, it's just amazing to see God work through that little, you know, just commitment. It wasn't even people. It was just a commitment saying, all right, we're going to study God's word. We're going to pray together. And, um, you know, three became four and four became five and it just grew and grew and grew. And it was really amazing. Uh, God really used it and lives were changed. And, um, and now, you know, 10 years later, we're still, you know, getting together every weekend and, and meeting for Bible study and, and people, you know, the people have changed. Some have come and gone and not in their faith, but in NASCAR and in their careers. And, um, but it's still, you know, 10 years later, we're still getting together every weekend and, and having that Bible study. And yeah, it's just really cool to see, you know, just all the stories that have come about from that, from that group. Oh, that's awesome. At Hope Sports, we know that you want sport to be fun, but in order to do that, you need to compete with freedom. The problem is you believe that everything hinges on your score, performance, or medal count, but we believe that athletes should be able to experience joy regardless of their win-loss record. Because sport is more about the process of who you're becoming than the end result. We understand what it's like when the pressure to perform exceeds the passion for the game which is why hundreds of athletes rediscovered their love for the game with Hope Sports. We have a workshop coming up November 15th through 17th in San Diego, California, and you do not want to miss it. It's so easy to get involved. Go to hopesports.org, sign up for the November workshop, and win like never before. So sign up today and come figure out what you've been missing. It could be the key you need to find success in your career. Now, in 2010, you kind of felt like the door of racing might be starting to shut and you were kind of getting ready to let go and move on. And, and I know you said you were growing really passionate about orphan care. So tell me about that time in your life. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, you know, God lays things on your heart and then he puts people around it. And um, so sometimes it's hard to escape um, what God's <laughs> trying to show you. And, um, you know, just through relationship with um, Caleb and, and going on their cruise and some friends that were adopting and meeting um, some, some great people from back-to-back ministries and all these things started happening where we were kind of surrounded by people that were either adopting or in orphan care ministry or you know just everywhere we turned and so um, my wife and I uh, really felt like the Lord was leading us to do something and um, we started the adoption process in 2000 and I think it was in 2010. Um, and you know, we just, as, as we started that process, you know, things weren't going that great in racing and, and I was missing a bunch of races and just wasn't, I just didn't feel like there was any end game. Just kind of felt like I was going through the motions and not having much success. And, um, it felt like God was maybe closing the door and, and with just all the people we were surrounded um, that were in orphan care, I really thought that God was calling us to do something on the mission field. And at the time, we only had one kid and uh, my son, and we were in the process of adopting and just felt like maybe this was the time where we would do something different. And um, So at the end of 2010, we, we went to Monterey, Mexico, and um, just kind of unplugged from technology and and um, just really wanted to see what the Lord had for us and what might be next. And 
um, you know, it was just a, a fun and kind of scary time all at the same. It's just, you know, you think about NASCAR and you think about how cool it is and I get paid to drive around in circles, but I really <laughs> had the desire to do something bigger and crazier and move to a third world country and, you know, and do something awesome for the Lord. And so, um, but we were, we were out one day serving and we were in a very impoverished area. And I just remember like seeing poverty like I've never seen before. And uh, you know, there was, there was no food, there was no water, there was no electricity. It was just um, people living on the side of this river and whatever floats down the river, they would grab and use for shelter or for whatever. And, um, you know, it's just, just extreme poverty. And I, it just broke my heart. And I just remember just, just crying out loud to God, like, what do you want me to do? And I remember saying, obviously it's not racing. So what do you want me to do? And, um, it was the first time in my life and in my walk where I felt like, like God spoke to me and not through his word and not through a song or through other people, but like, I just felt like I had this this over and over in my head is just that you keep doing what you're doing and I'll take care of the rest. And I didn't know what that looked like, but you know, I just kept, you keep doing what you're doing. I'll take care of the rest. So got home and anyone that's been on a mission trip, you know how you have this, this save the world feel. <laughs> and you just want to do so much more for God. And, um, and you don't want to lose sight of that, but you get home and you get back into the mundane of, you know, life and, um, I remember getting a call from the team that I was driving for and, um, and they just basically, I got fired and I'd never been fired before. So I wasn't really sure how that went. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I remember getting off the phone and kind of kidding a little bit with my wife. I said, I think I just got fired. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure. And, um, you know, I just that same voice that said, I, you know, you keep doing what you're doing and I'll take care of the rest. And, um, that same night, I got a call from Joe Gibbs Racing to come drive their Xfinity car, and there's no way um, that I would be on their radar um, at Joe Gibbs Racing. It's one of the premier teams, um, probably the best seat, the best car that you could get into, and they were calling me, who hadn't done much in my career, to come drive it. And it was just one of those aha moments where when God says he'll take care of the rest, he'll take care of the rest. and. Um, and I really thought it was going to be something else. I thought it was going to be, you know, the mission field and, and God just continues and has continued to provide opportunities here. And, and we just embrace that this is our mission field. And so this is where God has us this year. And, um, we take it one year at a time. And at the end (laughs) of the season, we get to November and we say, okay, God, what's next? What do you want us to do? And, um, we just try to hold it loosely and, and God is, um, you know, just, continue to provide opportunities here. And, um, and so we just try to be faithful in the process. Mm. I love that. Now I know when you were adopting you, um, you kind of started with what Honduras and Ethiopia, like, did you have some struggles there and then you switched to China? Like how did all, cause we've, I've adopted two, two kids too, one from China, one from Ethiopia, and it's just international adoptions, a hot mess in general. So yeah. like, tell me about your adventures. Yeah. It's a crazy journey. Um, you know, we, we started in 2010 and we started in Ethiopia and I didn't have my mind set up and my wife didn't either that anything in particular, a certain country or anything like that. So when we started the process, we just said, well, where's the greatest need? And they said, well, Ethiopia is the greatest need. And so we started that program 
and um, got through the approval process. And um, it was just at the time where there was um, obviously a lot going on with adoption and international adoption, especially in Ethiopia. And so um, it got shut down for a period of time and we were so far on the waiting list and with it shutting down, it just didn't make sense to stay in the program. And so agency asked us to take a look at another country and we went through the process again and started over with paperwork and all the crazy stuff and um, did it again in Honduras and got on the waiting list and we're really close to um, being in, you know, in a spot to have a referral and a match and they shut down that program. Honduras did, the government did. Mm. And so it's just time and time again, we just had a roadblock after a roadblock and um, it ended up taking six years um, going through the process before we um, were able to adopt our son Lucas from China and, and we started in Ethiopia and then Honduras and, and then in China which was crazy and um, yeah so you know the whole time where you know we started the process thinking okay we're going to have one and we're going to adopt one <laughs> and that was kind of that fits our lifestyle and our travel and you know obviously I, I travel 40 weeks out of the year and you know, just, just crazy to have your family and do all that. So, um, but through the process, you know, we had, we had two more children and, and so now we have four and, um, that really wasn't the plan, but, um, that's God's plans aren't our plans as we know. And, and, uh, but the cool part about it is for me is just, I knew the whole time my wife, my wife definitely had those moments of, are we ever going to, you know, do this? Is it ever going to happen? And and I just had the feeling the whole time is like God knows exactly who we're going to adopt and who it's going to be, and and He's working out all the details. And even though it took six years, you know, um, it's crazy to be able to tell our son that God chose him before he was born, that we mm-hmm. started the process before he was ever born, and um, and so you know when we got Lucas, he was four and then we had already been in the process six years and so it's just mm-hmm. cool to you know to be able to see this God's faithfulness through the process yeah yeah ours is very similar it took us three years for our daughter in China and then five years for our daughter in Ethiopia wow. and in between you had surprise kids same thing we have four kids and we were just hoping for one one <laughs> biological one adopted maybe if we were lucky and so yeah it's it's a little crazy isn't it yeah. but it's it's a good crazy yeah that's right uh, so how do you balance now being a dad of four with being a NASCAR driver every weekend? Do you still bring the family every single weekend? Like, do they travel with you? Um, so they come to about 20 of the um, 36 races. And so they come to a fair amount, but um, usually just more if it's within, um, you know, 10 hours or so, we'll bring the family and, you know, with schooling and everything else and all that, it's hard, but, um, you know, we just make it work. And, it's definitely a commitment and it doesn't make sense a lot of times, you know, even now it's just like, well, this is crazy, you know, getting on a plane every week and kids missing school and doing all that. But it goes back to that same place that we go to every year in November is okay, God, what do you want us to do? And, and we know that we know there's certain things you don't have to read to know about God, that you just know that he's for marriage, that he's for family and that he's, he wants me, he wants me to be a good husband and a good father before I'm a good NASCAR driver. All those things you don't have to 
you don't have to discern you just know um and what makes it challenging is when you when that requires more than you think you're capable of and so to do all of this well it's just a lot it's it's a lot it's a lot on my wife it's a lot on my kids it's a lot on me it's a lot of balancing and schedule and all these crazy things but um we know that we're supposed to do it and so when I think about 2010, when we were trying to escape to the mission field, it probably would have been easier. <laughs> wow. uh, That's but, food for thought right there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but we just try to embrace it. And, and we, I mean, it's messy and it doesn't always look good. And man, we miss it a lot and we miss, you know, teachable moments and opportunities, but we just, we keep struggling forward and, and just try to uh, be faithful through the process. Mm. So good. So it's not November. So I'm assuming you have a plan for this year. What is on your agenda for this year? Yeah. So, um, you know, that's what's neat about racing and and in sports. I know that I have this year. And so, you know, for the next, you know, 11 months, I know what I'm doing and I can just do that full force. And, um, and so that's actually kind of fun. Just, you know, this is what you're doing and you just do it. Um, and so, you know, our season fires back up here in a few weeks and, um, we'll all be traveling down to Florida for the, for the big race and, you know, you just kind of start the chaos over and, um, and, you know, with that, I'm still ultra competitive and, and, uh, you know, just want to give my race team everything that I have and, and get results and, um, and that drive really hasn't changed. And so it's, you know, it's just, uh it's a fun season. It's a fun time to, you know, get ready for a new year. Awesome. Well, where can we follow you like online or on TV to like cheer you on this year? Yeah. So, um, you know, all the races are, are the start of the season is on Fox or Fox sports. And, um, and the second half it's on NBC and NBC sports. So, um, you know, you can catch us pretty much any Sunday. Um, (laughs) and then you can follow me on social media too. Um, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And uh, yeah, there's so much out there now. You can, you can overload on, uh, on plenty of uh, updates and news for sure. Yeah. So are you, do you know what your handle is on Instagram and, and Twitter? Yeah. Um, so on Twitter, it's uh, McDriver. Um, McDriver. I like that. Or driver. Yeah. Um, and then the same on Instagram as well. And on Facebook, um, just Michael McDowell. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to come on our podcast, for inspiring us and encouraging us. And we wish you the very best. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I just loved getting to chat with Michael. I'm amazed how he can hold his career so loosely, especially when his performance is so heavily tied to sponsorships and standings. But each November, he just reevaluates and goes from there. And I never would have guessed that he views his time in NASCAR as not the easy road and that he even tried to escape from it. But when our vision for purpose and impact is bigger than our performance, then we know that we're in it for more than just the numbers of the trophies. We're in it for a reason. I hope that you know and have a grasp on the reason why you are where you are right now. If you don't, then consider exploring those ideas further or come in a Hope Sports trip or check out their workshop and be with others who are asking those same questions and are on that same journey. Be sure to join us next week for an amazing conversation with Olympic chaplain, Ashley Knoll. If you've been listening to the show for a while now, that name might sound familiar. 
Several athletes have been powerfully influenced by his perspective and his guidance. And he shares it all for you right here next week. I'm your host, Laura Wilkinson. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media. For more information on Hope Sports and to access the complete archives, please visit hopesports.org. Thank you.